This podcast is brought to you by Ideate and Execute. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, ideate massively valuable new products, or execute them to market? Then contact us today at ideateandexecute.com and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future Podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. This is great. Good to see you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization and uh, what you're passionate about. We'll go from there. Sure. Um, so my name is Susie Ingwall. I am the national director at an organization called the Innovation Institute. I work for the Innovation Lab. Um, our core model is to take ideas and concepts from healthcare workers inside of the hospitals and bring them out to market. So we sort of have this inside out innovation program. Um, with our innovation program, we have member hospital systems that own a percentage of our company. So we are a for-profit company owned by nonprofit hospital systems. Um, it's a system that works really well. We, for many of our hospital systems, we become their innovation department. So we do think, work on things like culture change. We help, we do one-on-one coaching with different innovators. We will do events like shark tanks and hackathons um, to try to bring new solutions to market to really help those patients. And then on the flip side, we also work with startups from time to time. We do a series of startup demo days so that hospital systems can see what's out there in a sort of really unthreatening way. Um, and then we also have partners that we work with. Uh, if some, someone comes to us needing funding or something else like that for a company, they've already stood up. So that's kind of the, the 50,000 foot level of what we do. Oh, fantastic. So so how do you get started with it, with an organization? Do they, do you just like, I mean, just tell me a little bit about this, like the nuts and bolts of it. Sure. So um, if, if somebody's a member of one of our member hospitals, they already are probably aware of us and they can submit an idea to us through a portal or they can reach out and talk to us. But we also have a public portal where anybody can put an idea in. Um, and then honestly, like most of the time, people just give us a call or shoot us an email and say, hey, I want to know more about what you're doing. I have a product in mind that I want to bring forward or bring to market in healthcare. We only work in the healthcare space, um, which is a really fun and sometimes challenging space to be in. But mm-hmm. uh, really, really happy to be a part of it. Well, that's really interesting. So you're saying that you're just sort of open, you have to be a member hospital, right? So somebody from a member hospital has to? You do and you don't. So we have, so we have our member hospitals and the way that we work with them is a little bit different than the public. So let's say you're a doc at one of the hospitals that we work with and you've just submitted an idea to us and we take it to market. Um, When you submit that idea, it's usually very early stage. If we get a napkin sketch, it's a miracle. Um, Most of the time it's just, hey, I recognize this is a problem and I have a potential solution that I want to bring forward. And um, we'll take a dive into the market. We'll try to look to see, number one, what the market size is. How big is the need? Is Is this truly a need or does the person... Not one person think it's a need, but maybe nobody else does. Um, how? What kind of business model can we put behind it? And then we'll make a decision if we want to invest and bring it forward. 
if we do bring something to market, we share the net profits back with the member system that it came from, as well as the innovator who brought us the concept to begin with. So it's a really nice model for both of them. It gives new lines of revenue to our member systems, as well as subscription partners. We do have subscription partners that only use lab services. And then, um, then we, and then it also gives um, money back to the innovator to kind of help keep their juices flowing and coming up with new ideas and that kind of thing. We do have a subscription partnership that hospitals can, can join on and only use lab services. And the difference there is our member owner systems are actually investors in the Innovation Institute overall. So they get a return on that investment every year. Subscription partners are just using our services. So we become their innovation department and do a lot of the similar types of things, but it's just a little bit different. And then the last way is if you are a doc that isn't affiliated with us in any way, you're not a member owner, you're not a subscription partner, and maybe you have an idea you want to bring forward, we do have our public portal. And the difference with, with that is if we invest in the idea and bring something to market, we're the ones that are be doing bulk of the, the bulk of the work on that. And um, we'll look to retain 70% of the net profits, give the inner innovator back 30%, and then we'll look to retain that IP. But any, any patents or anything else that would be issued, the innovator would be a part of. Wow. I, I've never heard of this. This is very cool. How long have you guys yeah. been around? Um, we um, were originally launched back in 2013 as a for-profit arm of the health system that we were working with then. So at that point, it was St. Joseph Health System um, down here in Southern California, um, they eventually got got merged with Providence Health System, which is big. You know, they're in seven states, and they're actually a subscription partner of ours right now. And then our member owner systems include Avera Healthcare out of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Fra uh, um, Franciscan Missionary of Our Lady out of Louisiana, Bon Secours Mercy Health, Valley Children's Health System um, in the Central Valley, Chalk Children's, which is um, Children's Hospital Orange County and then multi-care health system in the Puget Sound area. So between all of those, we probably work with about 150 different hospitals because anyone in their ecosystem can work with us. Wow, very cool. So did you say you were attached to a specific hospital or a specific provider at one point? So you were a department of one of these providers? Originally, right? we, were a for, we became the for-profit arm. We were created as a for-profit arm of St. Joseph Health System. That's mm -hmm. how we originally got started. And then um, as we grew, we separated on our own and other health systems started to invest with us. And we started working with them on their innovation programs and concepts as well. So it's been really great. We've had a lot of great growth over the past, gosh, I don't even know how many, many years it's been. What year is it now? <laughs> <laughs> Almost 10. <laughs> oh my God, so crazy. So yeah, well, this, is, this is really cool. So yeah. can, can you tell me a little bit about the genesis of this? Because I mean, I know there's, there's companies, a lot of corporates have innovation groups internally, mm -hmm. and a lot of them sort of struggle with the relationship to the innovation group, because sometimes they think it's not core. And, you know, how do you, how do you, how did you start bringing value back in early enough for them to say, yeah, this is a great idea. We should continue moving on, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think in healthcare, there's a couple of different things. So one advantage we have is that hospital systems will typically invest in us. So we're so we don't become a year-over-year -year cost center. You know, as you probably know, you know, in innovation, it can take quite a few years to get something to market. Um, and so a lot of times if hospitals stand up their own internal innovation department, after a couple of years of it being sort of nothing more than a cost center, they're at risk for for maybe losing that that department. Exactly. I've um, seen that happen so many times. That's why I'm wondering, how yeah. is this model working? I want to I want to yeah. replicate this. This is great. Well, and it's really interesting too. So our parent company, Innovation Innovation Institute, 
has 15 or so companies underneath its umbrella. And all of those companies are profitable. They all do different types of services for healthcare. And that really helps keeps, keeps us sustainable, keeps the company profitable year over year. We've made money every single year and have had a return for our investors every single year. And that way the lab is kind of free to do what we need to do to bring some of these innovations to market. It's, it's a hard space to be in, especially in healthcare. Buying cycles are very slow. Um, you know, if you've got a new digital health product, it can take up to 18 months sometimes to get the full really? line. Really? For even digital, even digital products take that long? Even digital wow. products can be. It really depends huh. on when you come in, when they're doing their budgets, and who you're working with. Um, sometimes if you can get early stage pilots, those kinds of things, that makes it a little bit easier. But it's just such a different industry than anything else out there. And um, the cycle times can be challenging. There's a lot of challenges in this space, but... It almost makes it even more fun when you're able to get something to the finish line. Oh yeah, yeah. It's very. So I, I interviewed a couple of people in the medical space, and they said that there's like there's sort of like a sort of like a demarcation between the ones that have to take the long path and the short path. Do, do you guys yes. focus on both, or we do? Uh, most... we, okay. we try to pick projects that kind of diversify what we're working on, so that we have some quicker wins and some you know maybe some incremental innovations that get to market faster. And then look for those longer play ones. Anything that's going to be FDA class two or two or three is going to have a really long play, probably a large research component of it. Um, so we really focus on, you know, diversifying that so that we've always got kind of things in queue and in flow. And I, I believe I'd have to go back and check the number to be sure, but I think right now we've got twenty products to market, maybe twenty-one. Um, can't remember wow. Off the top of my head. Yeah, it's, since the it's, beginning, you've got twenty products to market. Mm -hmm. And some of them in are less hard. than 10 years. That yeah. is amazing. It is pretty amazing. I, I'm always kind of dumbfounded by it because it's really hard to get products to market in this space, but we've got, you know, products at CVS, which is really cool. Um, we've got, we work with, um, and we worked with an a NASA astronaut on one of our product on one of our products that um, can be, can be found on Amazon. So we get to work with all kinds of really cool and interesting people too, as if the physicians aren't enough, you know, we've got to get an astronaut who's a physician and has been to the moon and has climbed Mount Everest and makes me basically gen generally. Wow. <laughs> this is very cool. This is, yeah. this is like an innovation group that works. I mean, it's hard, it's just <laughs> hard, hard to see that sort of thing. And is it, I mean, what, what's your secret? Like uh, you, you've got, I mean, I've seen so many groups within these organizations? Is it because you're spread out across or is it because the group is doing other things that are not in the innovations? Like what is it, what's your special sauce here that you I think, think differentiates you? A lot of trial and error. I wish I had, I wish I could say it's one thing. I will say one of the things that we really started doing a lot more of in the past, probably two or three years um, are doing things like hackathons and design thinking sessions where we're bringing cross-functional yeah. teams together to really, instead of just, you know, kind of passively waiting for somebody to put an idea in queue, let's get together and let's talk about some of the challenges the health systems are having. Let's look at it from a different perspective. Let's do, you know, some ideation sessions around it. And for me, what I have found is with the, you know, with the collaboration between different departments and units and cross-functional teams, we're able to get a lot further. Right now, I think I have four or five products in product in our, with our product development team and all of them but one came from those types of events and sessions where we've got mm -hmm. multiple people involved, multiple people weighing in on a device or a digital health product and 
it really just makes it that much more well-rounded. And when we can get patients and families involved, even better. Yeah, because I guess it must be different for difficult for people in the field to see an issue and come up with a solution like in that moment and then yeah. have that submitted, right? Because it's kind of like, okay, let me write it down. Let me capture it somehow so I can... <laughs> So I can yeah. implement it, but then it's it's really difficult to do that, right? So it's more of a after the fact. Oh yeah, I I remember that. But do you ever have that kind of thing? Did you have any products that sort of like somebody figured out some workaround in the moment and sort of came up with a product idea? We've had a few of those. We had um, one innovator who came to me with a with a prototype she built in her garage, and it was. It was I, was <laughs> I love so it. Excited. Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, you're the best, and and it was amazing. And um, I was so excited about it and we were doing research on it and we found some obscure other person out there who had made almost the exact same thing that she had built in her garage that was our oh, wow. that beat her to market. Um, oh no. So whenever, yeah, whenever we get those, it's, it's exciting, but then I, you know, I was bummed we couldn't do a lot with it um, because there was already somebody else playing in that space. But we do have those people and we have the stories of the folks who will be like, you know, this is actually the same innovator. She's on the elevator with a patient and bad incident take, takes place. She doesn't have what she needs. And then she goes back to the unit and is like, nobody's ever going to be caught with this again. I'm going to make kits and make sure everybody has what they need when they transport these patients. So we look for those kind of folks who are either just naturally curious or just natural creators that are like, I, there's a problem here. I'm just going to solve it in real time. And I'll tell you, you know, I think a lot of our you know, nurses and clinical folks, they're really taught to always follow best practice. And so when you're, when, especially when you've been doing it for 20, 30 years, and it's always, I got to follow best practice. I do not deviate. This is the best thing for the patient. Sometimes it can be hard to kind of think like, how else might I do this? Or how else might I solve this problem when we've really been, it's been drilled into you to follow best yeah. practice. And that's what we want people to do. You can, when yeah. you want to, when you want to fail safely, come innovate with us. Um, we want, but we want the best for patients and patient care. But the other interesting thing about it is a lot of the folks that, that have kind of um, think, oh, I'm not that inventive or, you know, I've always been taught to follow best practice. I don't know if I can problem solve in that way. They're the same ones that you walk down the, the hospital halls and you see them taping like tongue depressors to the side of the hospital bed to to make little devices to help them with whatever it is they need done. Yep, I, yep. I see it all the time and I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys are all like innovating in real time and you don't even know you're doing it. So we, we take time and we walk the halls. Um, so, you know, I think in, in lean it's called go to the Gemba, but it's really, and you know, I think some managers do management by walking around. I call it kind of innovation by walking around. Let's go look and see what people are doing in the hallways. Let's go look at their challenges that they've got posted on their boards in the hallway, their lean management systems, and see if there's anything that we can work with them on. And I think just taking the time to walk around and talk to people really makes a difference. And the other thing we try to do too is just source problems. So um, if we can gather as much data as we can. If we hear over and over and over again that something is a challenge or a problem in healthcare, we'll bring a group of people together to ideate around a solution. So it's not always necessary for somebody to bring us an idea. A lot of times we just want to know what the problem is and how can we help and what, what, what ways can we look at to try and solve it, whether it's commercializable or not, because helping them solve those challenges will lead to them thinking about how to solve the next one. And that's where you're start, going to start to get more and more creative and innovative ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, one of the tenets of design thinking is look at the workarounds, right? So if somebody's put a workaround in place, 
there's a problem there that needs to be solved. And there's probably, there may be better ways. I mean, sometimes a workaround becomes the solution, right? But uh, the workaround usually is an indicator that there's something else that you could do there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the workarounds are the biggest thing. And that's, that's kind of one of the first things I tell people. Um, A lot of times we'll go in and we'll, you know, present to a group we've never presented to before. And I'll say, raise your hand if you think you're an innovator. And in healthcare, you'll get maybe one person who raises their hand. (laughs) And then I'll be like, how many of you spend half of your day doing a workaround? And like every hand in the room goes up. Yeah, Um, exactly. Yeah. And so then they, then they kind of put two and two together and like, oh, we're already doing this. So I think it's really just helping people to see that there's a creator and an innovator inside of all of us. And how do we, how do we get that out? Or how do we help them realize in the moment that they're, that they are creating and that maybe we need a more permanent solution to this. Fantastic. So do you use getting a kind of reward system? I know you were mentioning that some of the credit for the product goes back to, and some of the profits of the product go back. What, what other kind of rewards do you use to keep keep people? Yeah. So in addition to splitting the profits back, we do try to work with our um, health system part um, with our marketing departments and we'll do what we can to promote. Like if there's an innovator who's been successful in bringing a product to market with us, or if there's just an innovator who's become kind of an internal champion, um, there's a lot of different ways that we'll try to maybe highlight them, promote them, let people know about it. Um, I do a lot on LinkedIn. I'm always trying to promote our innovators and even the startups that that we work with, um, a lot of them just become near and dear to my heart so quickly um, that I wish I wish I could give all of you money. <laughs> <laughs> but we we do try to um, highlight them as much as we can and really focus on those innovators. We have one innovator um, out of Avera Health System that I think has submitted, gosh, I don't even know, thirty-five to forty ideas. And everyone wow. in our organization knows her name. They know, you know, what's going on with her. So we're, you know, we we always try to promote those people and make sure that. We celebrate them as much as we can. It can be a little bit difficult because we aren't part of the health system, even though we're a partner with them. Sometimes we can't always get the marketing resources that we need. So those are those are kind of some of the, that's one of the challenges of being outside of the hospital walls. But for a lot of our hospitals, we really become most people don't even see us as a separate entity. There we become part of their ecosystem. Right. So how, how do you promote your cert? what you're doing to people internally. So if they, like when somebody new starts, is it, is it part of the onboarding process to say, Hey, if you've got any ideas on how to improve things, go to these guys. I mean, how, how do you promote yourselves internally? Yeah. So internally at the hospitals, there's a few different ways. Part of it's through marketing part of it, but you know, clinical people aren't sitting in front of their computer waiting for like, Oh, I need this week's, you know, update on what's happening in the hospital. They're out working with patients. So we have to find other ways. Sometimes we'll do things like invite them to town hall meetings, invite them to open houses. We've done some virtually this year. We had to pivot to a lot virtual, um, which is hard because we can't be there walking the halls. Um, Time clock posters, things like that. But we also will really try to to just make our way around and get in front of people, talk to them and let them know, hey, we're here. We will partner with HR to do things like new hire orientations, so they know about us from the first time that they um, that they come into the hospital system. But you know, there's a lot being thrown at them in that time, uh, so you've always got to have those reminders that hey, we're here and we're here to help. And um, most, a lot of times, the new hires are the most excited because this is a new thing for them that maybe they didn't have at their hospital before. Mm-hmm. 
So can you tell me a bit about some, maybe some challenges that you overcame in bringing these, this, this thing in? Cause it sounds like you've had smooth sailing. I mean, I love what you, the way, the way you sound, it sounds like, oh yeah, we just came in there we got these ideas and we created all these POCs and boom, and we hit the market and like everybody was like all systems go. I mean, did you come up against any challenges that you had to overcome? Oh yes. Challenges every day. I wish it was that easy. I really, really do. Um, it, it's even hard. Well, you make it sound easy. I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. But- <laughs> it's been hard in this space to create metrics, right? Because you create a metric, oh, we want so many ideas in, you're driving the wrong behavior. People are putting ideas in just to get them in. So you meet that measure of success, right? Or we want to bring so many ideas to market. Well, that might drive the wrong behavior too, because you you don't want bad ideas to be brought to market just because you need to meet a measure of success. So metrics, I think, are a challenge. Like how do we celebrate our success and show people our success? Um yep. I think also really just navigating the healthcare systems. So most of us have worked in healthcare for a certain percentage of time. We do bring in outside folks though as well. They've got a really great perspective to offer. Um, I have a team of people and the other national director has a team of people as well um, that are embedded in the health system. So they become that health systems liaison. So they're called our client engagement executives. And so I've got one with the health systems I work with, I've got one, one at Valley Children's, one at Chalk Children's and one at Multicare. And then um, my whole team supports the, the what we do with Providence as well. So um, that helps a lot because those folks really get to know the health system pretty well and become a little bit more embedded in it. But it's definitely not easy. I mean, we run into challenges with, with maybe we have something in product development and then I'll go to a startup showcase and I see somebody who's done almost the exact same thing and they're you know mm. months and months ahead of us. So there's a lot of times we've had to stop projects in the middle of product development. Those things happen. I mean, there's people that are gonna beat us to market. Um, we do try to you know do as robust searches as we can. We try to use um, you know be smart and use data to kind of guide us. How you know? Oh gosh, you know we have some ideas that we'll get the same idea in over and over and over again, and maybe we'll think you know this isn't that big of a problem in, in the in the beginning, and then we'll be like, well, we keep getting this over and over again. Maybe we need to take a, a new look at it. But right. you know, I think anybody who works in innovation in any industry, it, it's it's hard. It's not you don't snap your fingers and bring a product to market overnight. And in healthcare, you've got regulatory to deal with. There's just uh, I guess you have it in every industry, but you've got so many challenges that can can kind of get in your way. I think one of the biggest challenges for health IT is really how providers have to work and their workflows. Mm-hmm. If you're going to create something for health IT, you better make sure it's integrated into their workflow because if it takes them outside of that workflow, it's not going to get adopted. Um, yep. You know, a lot of providers only have a certain amount of time to see patients, whether they're, you know, a clinic or whether they're, you know, on a unit in the hospital. And um, so we've got to make sure that we're integrating the, integrating either into the EMR or into their current workflow, which can mean more development time, more money. So um, it really just depends, but there are challenges everywhere. <laughs> I don't want to make it seem easy at all, <laughs> but, um, but we really love it, what we do. Do you have the ROI challenge? Because that's always the big, the yeah. first question is, if like, what's the ROI on this innovation? And it's like, how can I tell you what the ROI? Is? This is a brand new to the world uh, product. We don't know who the market's going to be. We don't know how much we're going to make out of it, but you still want ROI right up front. I mean, how do you deal with that question? It's really hard. Um, we do try our best to try to guesstimate. And I'll say guesstimate because that's really what it is. It, in the upfront, what is it going to cost for us to manufacture this? 
what does the market size look like? What percentage of the market do we think we can capture? And we're usually pretty conservative about that ROI question because we would rather meet it and blow it out of the water than set up a goal that's unattainable. Um, yep. So we do try to look at what percentage of the market we think we can capture and then just make our best decisions off of that. But you're absolutely right. I mean, when something is brand new or if it's something that maybe we've never seen before, I mean, I can imagine, you know, when the first like iPod came out with, there was just the music player, you know, we all had our Sony Walkmans or whatever back in the day. <laughs> That was yep. going to take off, right? Like that was something that was brand new. It was a complete industry disruptor. We had no idea what was going to happen with it. But luckily, luckily now we've got these great iPhones and other other devices similar to it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's the part of the challenge too, is like you're really working with unknown. And the, I think the thing that's probably the hardest for me is I'm really, really passionate about pediatric healthcare. Um, and I'm luckily fortunate enough to work with two fantastic pediatric hospitals uh, that, that we spend a lot of time at. Um, this thing that really stinks about pediatrics is if something is made specifically for peds patients, it's almost always a small market size. Mm. So weighing that against the cost and the spend can be really hard. Um, and we've had to close projects because we can't get the ROI that we need on them. And, and that's unfortunate because really we just wanna help these patients out. And that's our goal and our mission is to understand what some of the needs are and try to solve them and bring new things forward. So those are always hard conversations for me because a lot of times I see the need and I, I see you know that I always think we need like a, a nonprofit arm for innovation that can handle some of these types of things that can handle some of these small market size situations where the need is great, but maybe we just, we're not going to make any money on it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I, I see that all the time because there are great ideas that never go anywhere because there's no, not enough ROI. Right. Yeah. And they fall into this category of this is fantastic. It's going to benefit these people so much, but there's just not enough of them. And yeah. I mean, I, I had this issue when I was working with Yahoo, they were saying the same thing. They're like, well, we really love this product and it's great, but if it's going to have less than a million audience, we can't touch it because it's just not worth it for us. But it's like, I mean, what are you going to do with, uh, I don't know, uh, Dashund owners or something like that? Like you, you have to have Yahoo pets, but you can't have Yahoo Dashunds because there's not enough people no, or something like that. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And I mean, I'm hoping that as we see you know, I'm hoping that as we see more adoption of digital health and that kind of thing, that we'll see some of those trends change. But I think I'm just being overly optimistic. It, it's just hard. I mean, businesses aren't going to invest in something that's not going to make the money, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But it makes it hard for, you know, kids, kids that have chronic conditions or other types of things that they could really use help with. Yeah, there's got to be a way around it. I mean, there, there, there yeah. have been, like you said, you know, there could be a nonprofit arm, there could be money from other sources or something like that. But you know, it's, 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 it's unfortunate that these things fit in a, in this category where they're great ideas, but they can, sometimes they can never get, they'll never be built, even though they'll help a lot of people. And it's not to say that we never would, we, we do try to like find ones that maybe have a little less ROI, but that are still a big need. Like right now we're working on a, um, on a brace for tremors for kids with ataxic cerebral palsy that actually came from the child sending a video um, to us and to the hospital that we were working with, showing us all the challenges that he has. And so that market size can be expanded to adults as well. And that helps us, but it's not going to be the largest market in the world, but it's still something that we're working on and bringing forward because we do think that we can get enough ROI and, and hopefully we can get enough ROI from other projects to kind of offset that as well. So we try to 
just like we try to do the ones that are more game changing and, and more incremental, we try to kind of diversify the portfolio a little bit that way too. Yeah. Well, you got to have a little bit of both, right? Otherwise yeah. some of the disruptive stuff, it's really tough to, to ROI it, but the incremental it's, it's fairly, it's a lot easier because people understand what it is. You know, you're not going to, you don't have to do a lot of education. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If we've got, if we have a steep learning curve, then we know that we're up against a battle. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. So tell, can you tell me a little bit about uh, a product from beginning to end? Like you said, there's about 20 of them. Are they actually out in the marketplace right now? These 20 products? Yep. So we have, um, I can tell, I can tell you about a couple of them. Um, so one of our more incremental ones, I mentioned CVS earlier, we have, um, we had a hand surgeon that came to us. One of the first ideas that ever came into us who said, you know, I do these hand surgeries and I tell people to go home and elevate their hand for a certain amount of time. So that he says, go home and do this and they go home and they don't do this. <laughs> And it takes people mostly because it looks silly, (laughs) a little bit silly (laughs) and it's not comfortable. Right. Um, So a lot of patients were using traditional arm slings, but it still wasn't elevating their hand over the the heart for the right amount of time. So this surgeon came to us, um, wanted to create a sling that you could rise up to elevate the hand above the heart for that prescribed amount of time and then drop it back down. And we created it. We have some patents on it. And if you go into CVS and look for an arm sling, that's the one you're going to buy because that's what's on their store shelves right now. Wow. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. But it took some time to get, and you would think, oh, it's just a sling, like, but there are points of patentability. It was a real need that we identified and it can be used by, you know, any patient who needs one, whether they need to elevate for a little bit or not. Um, But when in other situations, like we've got one company that we're going to be spinning out um, named Invenio, which is a pharmacogenomics platform. In that case, um, the health system that we're working with it on had already created um, this pharmacogenomics platform for their hospital. And it, it basically, it's a DNA, it's using DNA to understand how someone that has behavioral health challenges would metabolize certain medications. So that oh, you interesting. can pinpoint what medication they need to be on sooner. If you've ever known anybody with depression, for example, it can take three to six months, sometimes longer to get the medication mix just right for them. And so mm-hmm. with this technology, we can actually pinpoint a lot sooner what they should be taking and get them dialed in and feeling much better about things a lot faster. So um, we are gonna be hopefully being able to expand their research and scale this up to a larger larger organization, which will be in Vineo, and then we'll be able to take it to market. The, key differentiator here too, is this was something they were already doing. And this was something their research team had already dialed in. So we just said, this is a great opportunity. Let's expand it. What else can we do? So we look for things inside the hospitals that are already pretty well baked or already done and being used. But for them, the physician is ordering this DNA test and it becomes part of the patient record. Um, as opposed to if I just go to like a 23andMe and get my own DNA test done. Um, and I think that there's a lot that can be done with that as we move forward, if they have other health conditions and other things that, co- that come up. So I think you're gonna see um, pharmacogenomics continuing to grow and um, hopefully you know, in, in some good ways that can really help some people out. I love the sound of that. So once, you, once you've done the DNA test, then you can, you can expand beyond that, right? Because you've got that set of data, which doesn't really change. Yeah, and you can, you can do anything. Absolutely. And it's just a matter of having, you know, having all of the systems in place so that we can scale it up as big as we need it to be. So it's going to take some time to build it to that scale, but we're working on it right now. And so hopefully in the next, you know, six months or so, you'll see something come out about Invenio. Um, But that one, that process was a little bit different because it was already 
well, well-baked and we're turning it into a startup. So we had to, you know, hire a team and all of that to kind of run it. Um, whereas if we just bring a product to market, we're usually starting from scratch, going through doing the whole vetting process, market is a market assessment, having IP or our intellectual property and licensing team, take a look at it, understanding what avenues we could take as far as that's concerned. And then, you know, in correlation or at the same time, product development is working on, you know, early prototypes to kind of try to bring it to market. The majority of, of the products that we work on are licensed out. Um, it's pretty rare that we'll do a startup around one product, especially if it's a device. Typically it fits in better with somewhere else. So like the sling, for example, fit in better with retail. Um, and we've got like a program that was started at one of our member systems that is on a learning, that's now available as a module on learning management systems. So we were able to take that and commercialize that. And now other health systems can use it too. And they don't have to, they don't have to make their own. They can just buy it instead of make it. So there's a lot of different avenues we take with things, but our process is usually the same. We do that upfront vetting. And then we take a look to see where we might fit in the market understand potentially what that ROI could be as well as we can, and then make some decisions about whether or not we want to invest and move forward. Nice. Well, I, I really love your model. And I'm surprised that you, you is it, I see we could probably use it elsewhere, right? I mean, there's, as long as they're non-competitive, right? Because the hospitals don't really compete with each other, do they? Well, they do and they don't. Sort of. Um, <laughs> that's a loaded question, Chris. <laughs> Um, you know, I think you're seeing less of that competitiveness now as we get, as they bring, start to bring in more innovation as, and if we start to do things like sharing data so that we can use things like artificial intelligence and machine learning to understand yeah. you know, better how to, how to, how to treat our patients and how to make better clinical decisions. Um, but I do think that it, that it is a model that, you know, others could potentially, potentially work from for sure. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Okay. So now it's time to think like a futurist. It's the year 2031, 10 okay. years from now. What are things going to be like? Loaded question. So <laughs> we've all heard about consumerism in healthcare, right? That's the big mm -hmm. hot, hot. Those are the hot kind of buzzwords right now. I think you're going to see, you know, the one good thing that COVID did for us is it really helped us ex understand how to expand telehealth very well. Um, hospitals that were barely using it are now using it. 20 times more than they were before. You know, hospitals that have had like two visits a week have gone to 2000 a week. So wow. I think we're going to see telehealth continue to evolve. And with that, what I'm hoping for by 2031, we've got a lot of folks that live in rural areas um, that don't have access to telehealth and they have to drive two or three hours to go you know, to a hospital to, or to see somebody. So I think when you think about like what SpaceX is doing with their Starlink platform, um, I think that we could start to see um, more connectivity brought to these rural populations so that we can give them more choices. Um, I also think you're going to see a lot more retail integration. So right now, you know, you've started to see, especially up in the Seattle area with Providence, um, clinics pop up inside of airports clinics popping up in different places. I think we're gonna see a lot more integration with retail as we continue as we continue down this path. I think by the time we get to 2031, you're really gonna be able to get care wherever you need to, when you need to, because this is the this is what this next generation is growing up with. You know, my son's 19. If he wants something, he wants it now because he's always been able to get it now. I always yeah. um, tell people the story when he was in high school, he would, you know, like two weeks before school started, he came up to me and he's like, mom, 
I need to go see a dermatologist. I have zits and I can't go back to school like this. He'll kill me for telling this story, by the way. And I've told it many times. So, so he, he knows me a lot, um, <laughs> a lot of free day. Um, but, you know, I, I, told, I told, and even I work in innovation, I should have known better, but I was like, oh, you know, let, well, we'll call your primary care physician. We'll get you an appointment. It's probably gonna take a couple weeks. But just so you know, we're gonna have to wait for a referral. It's probably gonna take about a month before you're gonna be able to see anybody. And he's like, what? Um, that answer was not acceptable to him. Um, and he came running back up the stairs and five minutes later, he came back down with dermatologist on call, downloaded to his phone. And he's like, look, I can see a doctor today. So I'm wow. like, well, let's try it. And, um, we took pictures, sent it over, you know, and we had a prescription waiting for him before the end of the night. Um, you know, all through an app, which is something I should have thought of. I work in this space. Hello. But <laughs> I was, I'm so used to the status quo. I've dealt with healthcare the way it was my whole life. And so for me, I'm just used to, okay, I got to go and call my PCP and I got to wait. Um, but for younger generations, they're not going to put up with that. And oh, yeah. think about the generations that are now having babies. Like those are the people that are, that want, you know, they want it right now and they want it the way that they want it. So I think we're going to continue to see consumers driving what healthcare looks like and healthcare delivery models look like. Remote patient monitoring, I think is going to grow. Um, hospital to home has become a really big deal, especially during COVID. Um, mm -hmm. Patients don't want to go to long-term care facilities or skilled nursing facilities anymore if they don't have to. They really yep. want to make sure that, that they're at home. So, and we need those things for people with chronic conditions. Um, I think you'll see a lot of the remote patient monitoring continue to get better so that if you do have a chronic condition, you don't have to go see your doctor every month. You can do things virtually um, like we're doing now. So that, I think that's one place. Um, I think as far as like other places that I think we'll see healthcare continue to evolve, um, AR, VR, augmented reality, virtual reality, and mixed reality is you know, it's been a buzzword for a long time in healthcare, but I'm really now probably in the last uh, year or so starting to see a lot more hospitals adopting it. There were some early adopters like Children's Hospital Los Angeles has done a lot of things in the, in the ARVR space, um, but it's continuing to grow. There's a lot more call for it. It's a great way to train and educate both providers as, as well as patients and families. Um, you can do more simulations and patient experience is becoming, you know, more and more talked about. It's always been talked about, but you can use tools like AR and VR for distraction therapy, which means mm -hmm. there have been studies done that show that you don't have to give as much pain medication when you've got that distraction going on. Um, so I think you'll see more and more coming down the pipeline with that. We were actually working on something right now in that space as well. Um, big data, like I said before, we've been hearing about big data for years. It's really just recently, I think that hospitals are starting to be open to sharing their data because they are starting to realize we can, we can leverage you know, AI and machine learning so much better if we've got a bigger data set. So I think you're, you're gonna start to see more of that. And there are some folks that are worried, like is, it, is, it, you know, is artificial intelligence gonna replace the doctor? And I really don't nope. think that's a concern. <laughs> It's, it, it's not, and it can't, I mean, somebody has They're to go. They're so far. The thing is, AI, people have, I think what's happened is that the fear of AI has been put into us by the mainstream media. And we're like, it's yes. not that advanced. I mean, I've done study. Yes. I know people who are in the AI space and they're like going, are you kidding me? You know, it can barely, it can barely set a table. You really expect it to operate on you. It, no, <laughs> we're nowhere near it. 
<laughs> yes. And, you know, I mean, I think with robotics, we'll get some of that too, but honestly, you're not going to see the need for these physicians going away, at least not by 2031. And somebody, no matter what the algorithm tells us, somebody who knows what they're doing has to go and invalidate that. Yes, that's true. Um, and so I think, you know, it, it'll be more leaned on for clinical decision support, trying to understand, you know, risk factors. Um, is this person at risk of being readmitted? I think we'll find new models of measuring those kinds of things, or, you know, hey, I'm a white female of however many years old that I won't say out loud. Um, <laughs> and, and maybe I'm at risk for certain things because of my health history. If, if you compare it to other people of similar age range and yep. similar, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds that you'll start to see that there's, there's trends. And so it may help us take better control of our own healthcare. And so I honestly think it's only a matter of time before we start to see it coming into the consumer space where you're, you could put your own data in and say, Ooh, these are the things I'm at risk for. Maybe I should ask about it, which could be good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like WebMD, you know, Oh, doctor. Yeah. I think well, I can't, I can't wait for the tricorder, you know, from Star Trek, the medical tricorder where you just like sp scan somebody with it, you know, pass it over them and they'll say, oh, you have this or, you know, you need this yeah. or whatever. But we're getting close to that. I mean, isn't there like devices you can blow into that will like, like tell your metabolism, tell you what, what to eat, what not to eat, stuff like that. I mean, we're getting close to that, right? I think we're getting closer and closer. I mean, and there's things that, you know, there's AI algorithms that can read, you know, scans and things like that. Um, I, I think that we are getting closer, but I think, you know, that future is still probably a long ways away. Um, but I think it's only going to enable better patient care. I think it's only going to help our physicians. And I think you're right. I think media and movies have really made people think like, oh my gosh, we're going to live in this crazy world um, where yeah. everything is computer, where computers take over. And, you know, who knows, maybe we get, maybe we're there someday. I don't know that we want to get there, but, um, but I do think that for now, at least in the next 10 years, um, AI and machine learning can be a really big helper and a big enabler of what we need to do to deliver better patient care. Oh yeah, absolutely. Totally yeah. agree. So this has been great. Thank you so much. Uh, I love the concept and I, I want to, I see want to see if somebody could experiment using it in other spaces, because I think this is a really, really great idea that you guys, that you guys are doing. So if uh, somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Sure. Um, they can email me or they can give me a call. Um, my email address is Susie, S-U-Z-Y dot Ingwall, E-N-G-W-A-L-L at I, I, the number four change.com, or you can give me a text, shoot me a text or give me a call at 714-234-6349. And that's my cell phone number. And I keep it on me all the time. Awesome. I'm probably going to my world up to a whole bunch of crazy calls, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, if you want, I'll put your contact information in the show notes. So if somebody wants to get in touch with you, that's the best way. Awesome. That'd be great. So thanks so much. This is great. Great talking with you. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate your time. Have a good one. Talk to you soon. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye.